Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. We have our co-host, Jenny Mathis, on the East Coast, and I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast. Today, we welcome Greg Orm. Greg was the founding CEO of London Business School's Center for Creative Business and now leads the school's organizational change programs with global clients in banking and insurance, automotive, manufacturing, and technology. He's also the author of last year's business book of the year, The Human Edge, How Curiosity and Creativity Are Your Superpowers in the Digital Economy. So welcome, Greg. Our first question is, what led you to write the book, The Human Edge? Well, I mean, I was thinking this morning, it goes a long way back, actually. When I was seven, you know, I was only thinking about this today. When I was seven years old, I got meningitis, which is a really serious illness that puts uh, fluid on your brain, you know, which isn't good, apparently. And uh, I was, uh, my parents were advised by the doctors to keep reading to me because, um, I was effectively it would stop me slipping into a coma. So I actually my reading age was really poor at that age. I was uh, not doing well at school and my parents read to me and I clearly I survived. And I, I, I'm beginning to think that's where I fell in love with reading for, for the first thing. And also by uh, implication, curiosity, which is a big part of the book. So that's going a long way back. I think you meant my professional life, probably, but no, so much personal life. I'm sure it formed your years. <laughs> it falls into two kind of parts, really. Uh, the first part, I was, a, I was a national television journalist, which I think helps me to write and think in a, in a quite a visual way. Uh, and of course, I was a professional writer writing scripts for television uh, presenters. Uh, but then since then, I've effectively been a strategy consultant going into leadership consultant. I've been a CEO myself along the way, also right. an entrepreneur. So all those experiences funneled into the human edge. Uh, and I like to see the human edge as, as a kind of um, a subversive manual that you can keep underneath your desk. So whatever company you're in, even if you haven't got a particularly enlightened boss, you can look after your own human capability and superpowers. Wow. All right. So what are my key takeaways? I've got this subversive book under my desk. Sure. So, so the book, the wrapper around the book, the kind of why did I write the book was in response to the question, how can we humans differentiate ourselves in a world of digital technology and machines, particularly artificial intelligence. So I was writing in response to this worry that machines are coming along to take our uh, jobs and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and some such. Um, We can talk about that if you like, but actually one of the reasons why I think the four superpowers that I came up with based on research uh, have done well in 2020 is actually they're an excellent way to respond to any kind of disruption. So I'll just quickly list them if you like, Jenny, right? just so we've got a, a frame of reference. Um, it's consciousness, 
which is really about meaning, finding meaning in your work and also finding the time to focus and to think. Mm. Curiosity, which is a bit more intuitive, but we can dive into that one if you like. Creativity. And then the fourth C is collaboration. And together, these are a way to differentiate yourself, not just from AI, I would say, but from fellow robotic humans who really haven't switched on their own kind of um, potential. I love that. I think I'll borrow that. I'll say. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> He's a robotic human. Stay away from him. Well, it sounds a bit rude. I'm sorry. Actually, it comes across as a bit rude. But what I mean by that is, you know, I see a divide uh, opening up in the workplace, in the modern workplace. And, you know, I think uh, uh, as it has done with many things, coronavirus, coronavirus has just accelerated this between people who are purpose driven, they're curious that leads them to be creative and then they need to be collaborative because you actually need fellow human beings to test your ideas and get them out in the real world. And on the other side of the divide, there are people who are just working for the paycheck. Uh, they think they're finished with school. They're not really interested in com continuing to develop themselves. And on, you don't want to be that side of the divide. I don't think in the 2020s, it's going to be a very painful place to be. Greg, can I ask you, Greg, the... You know, with with uh, with my friends, we talk a lot about how in uh, COVID, which has been a year now, right? It's been a year since Wuhan, that every day seems to be like Groundhog Day, right? So that you wake up, same thing, same thing, same thing. Now, what you're proposing, that, that I think would be a robotic human, let's just say. Now, what you're proposing is, is to really get conscious and, and take time to think. And I'm wondering... During this this pandemic, what what have you experienced personally, and what have you experienced with the people that you've been work, working with? Are they are they going to sleep? Are they waking up? Or, or what what could you do to wake yourself up, knowing that we might be in this pandemic for another six or twelve months? Yeah, that's such a good point, isn't it? And yeah, I have the same thing. I get through a work day, and then it's like I talk to my wife. It's like, what are we going to cook for supper? And it's just like, it's just, we've asked the same question so many times. I'm so bored by it and I love food. So, so absolutely. I, I think it's a huge challenge to us, Mitch. I think being, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky enough to live in, in a nice place here in the UK in a reasonably nice house, but just being the same place is very boring uh, for human beings. So um, I think uh, if I'm applying the kind of framework we just talked about to this situation, I, I'm a great believer, not in the big words like creativity, but the sub skills that lead up to them, because the, the big words can seem a little bit unobtainable. But if you think about how can I redesign my day? in order to find the part that's most productive. Now, we know through research, we can find that. There is research to show we all have a peak in our day where we can be cognitively more alive, better able to get into what uh, psychologists call a state of flow, where we can be five times more productive, which releases ourselves elsewhere. Uh, and how can we have on our plate every day, as it were, a time to play, a time to engage with other people, a time to actually uh, sharpen up our focus. And I, I always recommend mindfulness to people for that. I think it's a great practice to bring, especially now. It lowers anxiety. We're all feeling a bit anxious. So I would say it's a, about a lot of small habits. But the reason why I like the four C's framework, it gives you a framework to put those small habits in, those sub skills into, if you like. 
So uh, that's wonderful. And the mindfulness, um, the reflection, the actually creating the space. So to take this to one of our major platforms here, can you take those four C's and relate it to a leader now trying to lead a remote team or a team with half in the office, half around the world? Yeah. What do you do? Well, well, I think what's really interesting to me about Zoom Life, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever platform you you happen to be on, we're seeing both. uh, um, While the physical distance is being is being heightened, we're all a long way from each other. We are seeing into each into people's private spaces that we've never seen before. I've just met Mitch, and I can see into his his office there. I can see that picture behind you, Ginny, and you can see my very messy office here. And and so we have that kind of we had that sort of like window into their soul, if you like. If you're a leader, I think you have to bear that in mind. And uh, what I advise leaders to do is to say, yes, people are down. They've got an excess of cortisol and neuroadrenaline that have been going on far too long. It's very bad for us mentally and physically. What you need to do is lift people with science-based understanding. And one of the ways you can do that is to discuss meaning with them. What is the meaning of our work? Why do we do what we do? Who are we helping? And uh, and certainly here in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in the US, we're seeing the, an example of meaningful, purposeful work in, on the news every day with these amazing healthcare workers who we assume have a, a wider meaning for the unpleasant and dangerous things they're doing. Mm-hmm. I would say that meaning is not just for nurses. It's for all of us. Uh, so that would be my first piece of advice. The second is to... Uh, <laughs> To, to develop um, more empathy. Because I think if you're looking into someone's living room, you can mistake the fact that you actually know what's going on in their life. Yes. We're all experiencing lockdown in a very different way. Uh, and so I think the ability to question, to gently probe, to be genuinely interested in that person and then to listen intently is a really valuable skill right now. Now, I could go on, but I'll just give you one more, if you like, out of the three. So we went for purpose. We went for empathy. You know, the third one I go for is a sense of humor. Um, I'm fascinated by the science that underpins humor. We, We know if I can make you laugh or even smile a little bit, it will release oxytocin in your brain, which is the, the kind of so hug molecule, which is released when we want to bond with people. People yes. will listen to you longer, uh, take action on what you say, and it helps lower their anxiety. So we know there's great uh, correlation between having a laugh and actually being more creative and collaborative. So those are the three I'd pull out from my sort of my palette of human leadership. I love that. So a, a leader can take those three and then try to oper- operationalize it, you know, in talking to their teams. Yeah. And, and the third one, I think, is really particularly counterintuitive in a time when, of course, we're seeing dreadful things happening around the world and a terrible number of deaths and illnesses. But I think it's in these really particularly dark times, we need to laugh more. Do you know what Mm -hmm. what fascinates me about laughter is actually if you talk to people who've studied anthropologists, for example, we laughed before we could speak as a species. And we laughed when danger had passed. 
uh, and we realized we were still alive. It was a way of signaling to each other we're still together and we're still alive. Now, I think if you can do that, and I'm not talking about being a comedian. That's like the office. That's just really awful. I'm talking about just acknowledging that life is absurd and very fragile, as we're finding out. And actually, um, if I can have a laugh with my team, even on Zoom, it is possible you can actually lift the, the their their morale for the rest of the important work. Oh, wonderful, wonderful piece there. Um, it is one of your four C's. I do want you to speak a little more about curiosity, um, especially when you say weaponized curiosity, which we love that term. How do you do that again? with a team who's remote. Yeah. Show me. Show me how you do that. I, I think curiosity, uh, as I said with my my opening meningitis story, is really something that's just always been part of my life. I, I, you know, I look at my life as a journalist and as a facilitator and as a strategy consultant. And, um, you know, I think I've probably spent most of my life trying to work out, you know, how do you provoke other people to be interested in, in the world around them? Uh, and what I love about curiosity is uh, it's not a fixed trait. It's not like having blue eyes. Uh, think of it more like the mercury in a thermometer. It, it goes up and down depending on who you're with and what you're doing every day. So if you're a leader, you can really bear this in mind to to really get your team excited about their work. And, you know, you, I love that uh, I weaponize uh, metaphor, but my, my, my most recent one is it's the gateway drug to creativity. You get hooked on curiosity and therefore and then creativity becomes possible. Um, so a couple of things on, on uh, curiosity that I would emphasize if I was a leader, I would try and help my team, even in these difficult times, put some time aside for their personal learning. Because that is the gathering, the, the raw material for creativity later on. And this is why companies like Pixar, for example, have really crazy things on their corporate learning and development uh, courses. You know, they teach people pottery. They teach people painting because they know these are transferable th- skills. And if you learn one thing in a domain of knowledge, it's like building a little outpost in your mind. And you never know how it will get connected up later to something else. Do you know why we've got like all those crazy fonts on on our computers, those beautiful fonts on uh, Apple and various other things? It was because Steve Jobs, after he dropped out of college, um, sat in the back of a calligraphy course and got fascinated by calligraphy, the art of handwriting, right. and became a complete nerd about fonts. And that's why the Apple first had fonts. And now we ha- have these. So it's these connections. It's when an idea jumps a fence from one domain of knowledge to another that's when creativity happens so this is what you should be explaining to your team why they should roam widely outside of their area that's how creative that's how they gather the fuel and then the final thing and people always ask me you greg you know you're exposed to all these amazing leaders uh, a, a privileged position at london business school to meet you know sometimes thousands of leaders every year what's the one thing you'd say to them Just one piece of advice. And my piece of advice to them is always this. If you want to be a more creative leader, stop giving everyone the answers and start asking better questions. So, you know, why do we do it this way? 
What if we tried that way? Have you seen what our customers are asking for now? These Mm -hmm. are the questions to electrify a meeting if you're a leader. Uh, Greg, what, um, I love that. What, what questions do you have these days? So I would say the big questions for me, if I'm a leader, are how can I effectively make an impact through a screen? Ah, you know, I great. think that's bit, one of the big questions of our era, because, you know, we were talking when we were preparing for this podcast, weren't we? We were talking about, you know, Zoom working, remote learning, all this kind of stuff. Well, my, my take on it, if you look at the statistics, what uh, L&D departments are saying, what boards are saying, that we're not going back uh, all the way to what we came from. You know, that it's a bit like uh, lending someone your pullover, your old jumper, your uh, sweatshirt, whatever you want to call it, to someone who's bigger than you. And you get it back and it's all stretched out of shape. You know, that's what's happened to the working environment. So I think I always say to people, how are you making an impact through a screen? How are you mm-hmm. present? Uh, because I'm sure there'll be face to face working. Fingers crossed there is. But uh, we'll always have this element now. We've, we've invested too much in it to go all the way back. Totally. You've also, um, you've mentioned about, you know, that productivity has already been proven either way, right? So stop saying one way is better than the other, right? And you say it's the opportunity to take the best of both worlds. What, What would that look like, the best of both worlds? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, Ginny. The, you know, if you look at the statistics around one productivity, there's actually been a couple of studies into that. And, you know, people are just as productive if they're, if they're supported correctly with the right technology in their home environment. And arguably, people, uh, people have uh, voted with their feet to say, we want more of this. We are happier when we've got flexibility, not completely as we are now. It's a bit miserable right now, but with some flexibility to work from home, people are happy about that. So, but but this is the issue that uh, leaders are talking to me about, and I, I I think I think this is absolutely true. Which is, that it's the creativity and the collaboration that that's a little bit more difficult. I think we can collaborate using this technology. But a lot of creativity, certainly in teams, comes from what I call lucky conversations. And that's when you kind of bump into someone, you know, the old water cooler chat, as as you, you say. I mean, this is one of the reasons why Yahoo first, you know, about uh, I think about five, six years ago, went pretty much all remote. And then they went back <laughs> because they were saying we're not getting that at all. So so. I think you have to work a lot harder at that. You have to be a lot more creative. I don't think it's impossible, but I think you have to uh, aim for serendipity, which is a crazy thing to say. But, you know, maybe take uh, some time at the start of a a Zoom session at the end where there's no agenda. You know, I've heard people talking about quarantinis, you know, having drinks with people online. Sometimes these feel a bit like hard work as alternatives. But, you know, if you are going to be remote, as companies like GitLab, for example, are completely remote, you have to work harder at it. They have drop-in sessions. They have randomizing sessions where they put people together. But what's interesting about GitLab as a case study is even they acknowledge occasionally you have to connect for that chemical moment we have as human beings. So they pay for their people to get go to uh, their colleagues' weddings and uh, and other big milestone events like that. So we do need a bit of that. That's the glue. And then we can build on that with the remote stuff. Fabulous. 
fabulous. Um, and I think this ties to the creativity um, and you coaching the leaders to ask better questions. You use phrases like um, uh, encourage collisions and and almost uh, in a way it sounds like cause some conflict. Yeah, I think that there's some evidence to show uh, that creativity isn't just this happy, clappy kind of scenario where everybody's getting on and we're all, I, I, you know, it's it, it's it's weird. I always used to talk about the yin and yang of creative leadership because it's never one thing or another. So whenever you're trying to make a point, you have to say, well, it's kind of in the middle of that. But so, yes. Humor and people in a good mood are absolutely proven to be more creative. But creativity is always, uh, as well, driven by a kind of relentless perfection, a, a restlessness, a passion that is not always very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a leader, you have to understand this yin and yang of creative leadership and, and, and develop the way to balance the mood in the team, depending on where you are in the creative process. And that's why it's probably the most nuanced managerial challenge in history to be a more collaborative and creative leader in our time that needs collaboration, needs creativity. Because all this right. stuff, you used to be able to just pay people for it. You know, everything yeah, we're talking about. On this yeah, exactly. It's intrinsically motivated. I do it because I like doing it, not because you're paying me. That's the strange thing about creativity. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, the, the one I think you really liked also was Raising Ugly Babies, was it? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so I stole that one. Uh, uh, and that's from Ed Catmull, uh, the guy who founded Pixar. As you can tell, I'm kind of a bit uh, of a Pixar fan because they're so creative and also commercially successful. Uh, and what I love about that is it sort of lets us all off a little bit with creativity. I think it, we can be really hard on ourselves. And if you imagine, if you think about Pixar, they must have some of the most creative uh, people mm-hmm. on the planet. Uh, and they admit fully when any idea first comes in front of what they call their brains trust, which is a sort of cross-functional team that gives feedback on the movies as they're going through pre-production and production. They are they call them ugly babies because they know they're not good. You know, no great idea just comes out of the box fresh as a daisy. And it's like, oh, there's the idea. They're ugly at first and misshapen and, and delicate. And sometimes, you know, I'm not going to extend that metaphor because it sounds a bit nasty, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, you have to get rid of these ideas, right? <laughs> so you only, you have to sort of bring them along. And I think if you think about us and our lives, we're not working for Pixar, but we have our own creative challenges in all our businesses. We need to realize ideas normally are laughable when they're first mooted. It's only after they've been iterated and worked upon and fed back upon generally that they're any good at all. So I love it because to me, it inspires me with my creativity because I have a lot of really bad ideas uh, and that's okay. Oh, so, I love Greg, it. Greg, Greg then <laughs> what, what would you <clears throat> suggest then for the leader who is, um, first of all, learning how to be very creative now with uh communicating through a, through a screen. What would you then say for this leader to generate ugly babies, to generate creative ideas, uh, especially that we're, in, we're on a screen? Because what I, my 
experience has been for those companies who are really doing well right now, it's put your head down, get to work. We got things to sell. We got operations to operate, research to research. And I just see them being very, very serious as opposed to um, finding time to be creative. Like, what would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is a tough time. And business, you know, when you think of business in the framework of, uh, sorry, creativity in the framework of business, of course, it's a slightly odd concept because, you know, uh, that, that execution, that delivery you're talking about is this year's profits. Creativity is only ever next year's profits, really. So you, you have to bet you have to have a one. You have to have a slightly longer term view, which is very mm. tricky to have. I'm not saying this is easy, but it's very tricky. And I think as a leader, you need to be. Uh, we're coming back to this yin and yang idea. You need to be able to um, toggle, if you like, is a decent word for it, between the ability to say, right, we're in execution mode now. And that, and then be able to maybe the next hour, maybe it's even the next minute, toggle back to right. We're in an open exploratory phase for this, and I'm going to facilitate a, a question uh, that we're going to answer together. And you need to be able to do that with a communication skill to not look like you're schizophrenic, <laughs> uh, which is which is quite challenging. And, and so I think this is one of the reasons I, I wrote the first book, The Spark, and I talk about this in The Spark, is to understand the creative process. Because uh, this isn't very good for the people listening because I'm making hand gestures here. But when you start a creative process, you are in divergent modes. You're, you're starting from a question or a challenge or something that's just irritating you that you want to solve. And you you create a portfolio of good and bad ideas. And the leader has to facilitate that. Then at some point you pick a criteria and then you just start selecting them. And you're in a much more hard-faced, taciturn frame of mind then. You're, you're killing some of the ideas. So this is why I, I talk to leaders about being able to be flexible in your approach and understand where you are in the creative process. And so coming back to your question, Mitch, you know, of course, we've got to deliver. And of course, we've got to delight our clients now. However, we need to put time and resources aside in a sort of more protected area of our day of our month in order to do this. Otherwise, next year's products and processes won't exist. Love that. Oh, fabulous. Well, we can talk to you for another day. Uh, is there something we haven't asked that we should have? Ooh, I tell you what, those, you know, that's one of those open questions that's a real tricky one, isn't it? You didn't ask me about my sourdough bread, despite the fact me dangling a big clue about it right at the start. But uh, I think more interestingly in terms of what we're talking about, you know, uh, there's a whole part of the book that we didn't really get to that I think is fascinating. And it goes back to one of Mitch's questions at the start, which is how do you cope with this weird environment that's a bit kind of degrading on us? It goes on week after yeah. week. And, and I'm really interested in the ability to focus in a digitally distracted world because yeah. over half the world are now using uh, social media. We're scrolling more than we've ever done. And it's the one thing that you do <laughs> when you look aside from your Zoom call, you pick up your smartphone yeah. and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but I do think there's an issue with our relationship with um, social media. And it's a big irony of my book because my book is about how to compete with artificial intelligence or differentiate actually is the argument I make. And the irony of it to do that, 
you occasionally need to disengage from the AI-enabled social media apps that are trying to grab your attention on an industrial scale that we've never seen before. So I would encourage leaders, uh, and maybe you're just asking what else we would talk about. I I would reflect upon if we ever came onto another podcast together, I, I would love to talk to you about the practical ways that we can tame our addiction to our smartphones to make more time. I mean, one last little kind of image for you. You know, I often think of my hero, Albert Einstein, who famously was uh, used to actually do his creative thinking uh, while he was a patent clerk in Bern in Switzerland. He would put his uh, work aside and turn to this. He had a very understanding boss. And I wonder what, if we'd have Albert's theories, if he'd had an Instagram account. And I doubt it, yeah, personally speaking. And I yeah, think right. that applies to all of us, doesn't it? We really need to curb this in order to find the time for our little bit of genius to to, to blossom. Lovely. Wow. That was great, Greg. I love your genius. I love your sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> yes. Great. And, and, and as I said, the metaphors <laughs> are just fabulous. Greg, thank you so much for being with us today and for giving us a wonderful podcast. And maybe we'll take you up on doing a second one in a few months from now to see what's going on. Well, I, it's been lovely to be with you. It's so warm with you guys on one side of the, uh, you know, the world on the other. And uh, lovely to see you and to hear you, Mitch and Ginny. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you, Greg. Thank you. And uh, thank you, uh, our great listeners, for listening to another episode of Team Anywhere. Please um, share this episode with your friends and let them know about uh, these great, great guests we have. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.